This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome once again inside the Wheelhouse Podcast. This is episode number 56. It's been too long since we've been here on Root Sports. In fact, we really haven't been on Root Sports for all that long, so if you're new to the podcast, especially the TV version, a quick reminder on how it works. We normally go for about 45 minutes or so, but not all of it can fit right here on Root Sports. So for the full unedited version, you can find it on iTunes, on Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcast. But we're happy you're with us for episode number 56 alongside Jerry Depoto. Colin O'Keefe. I'm Aaron Goldsmith. And Jerry, welcome back to town. You've had uh, some adventures like everyone else in the Mariners traveling party getting to Cooperstown, getting back from Cooperstown. How was it celebrating Edgar? It was awesome. It was so much fun the first time we had the chance to do this with Junior back in 2016. And there was something different about about going with Edgar this time. I, I can't even explain how many Mariner fans made the trek to Cooperstown and there are literally thousands of Mariners fans roaming the streets of Cooperstown they were there on induction day they were very vocal and to the point where, where Brian Kenny made mention of it on the, the the TV I guess the broadcast he was the emceeing the event it was really cool to see I loved it I think Edgar really had a good time and that there's a lot of stress involved in being a, 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 a Hall of Famer who's being inducted. So I was really happy for he and Holly when, the, when, it, when it ended and he had his plaque. And, and now forever he'll be a Hall of Famer. Now, people might automatically assume that people in baseball like yourself are familiar faces in Cooperstown. But for one, it's pretty hard to get to. And second of all, especially if you're talking about going for an induction Sunday, well, everybody in baseball is working on most induction Sundays. So how many times had you been to Cooperstown before going out for junior the first time? Uh, you know, I was there for junior. I was there in 2008. My son played in the tournament up there. You know, they do a, about 11 weeks of youth baseball tournaments, 11 straight weeks where it's it, the team goes for a week. There are about 100 teams per session. So think about that. It's phenomenal. And, and uh, 103 teams were there the week we were there, and my son played through. They made it to the semifinals uh, with, with a team from Arizona, Scottsdale. And, uh, you know, long story short, we were there in 08, and my great-grandfather, um, Grandpa Tier, owned a farm in Oneida, New York, a little over an hour from Cooperstown. And we would go up there for a summer vacation, you know, seven days at, at, at the farm. And and we did that once or twice when I was a, a kid. And w- when we did that, my dad took me to Cooperstown. And it was uh, it was magical. I never wanted to leave. And I still feel the same way when I'm there. It's a, it's a happy place. And you can't stand in the plaque room at the Hall of Fame and not be in a good mood. It's, it's the coolest place to be that I can imagine. We both know Edgar pretty well. Edgar does not typically like to be the center of attention, and he very much was, obviously, over Hall of Fame weekend. What was it like for you in terms of watching Edgar 
be such a focal point, not just for Seattle, but for all of baseball. So in the time that I've known Edgar, he said more words <laughs> from Friday through Sunday than he did in all the rest of the time that I've known him. Uh, I, I, again, there's a lot of stress involved with that. He looked like he was enjoying it, which is, uh, which is not something you can normally see with Edgar. You know, he, he is usually so focused, so deliberate in what he does. I thought he did a wonderful job with his induction speech. Uh, he, he didn't seem to miss anyone, and and I thought it was classy of him to cite not just not just the the normal people who help you get to get you through. You know, your family, your friends, your teammates. Uh, but he also thought enough to to thank Marty Martinez, the scout who signed him, and and ultimately kind of pushed him forward in the Mariners organization, citing our PR group for for all our PR and marketing group did, and the social media group, and, and pushing him forward and he not only did that in his in his speech at the Mariners party at the, we had a party on, on Saturday night prior to the induction and Edgar addressed the group but he also said it in his induction speech which will go down forever that that, that is recorded and it will be played over and over again and I think that's really neat for the people who are mentioned who ordinarily don't get the 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 accolades that they're doing Tell us about the party Saturday night. Who were some of the baseball gods who came swinging by? I only missed. I only made it for about half of it because I had maybe one too one too many uh, gartinis. (laughs) (laughs) Which is that was the fashion fashionable drink. It was a little sweet for me, but uh, you know it was that we. I do I do remember it vividly. I spent a lot of the night. My wife was with me. Tammy was with me. Uh, There are former Mariners: Jay Buhner, Jamie Moyer, Harold Reynolds. Dan Wilson, uh, Mike Cameron uh, was in the house, Ken Griffey Jr., Randy Johnson, uh, baseball dignitaries, Pudge Rodriguez, who's a longtime friend of Edgar's, uh, Carmelo Martinez, Edgar's cousin. And, and I said it to, to Edgar, I, I came walking out of the museum. We, we had the, the party on the back lawn of the, the Fenimore Museum in, in Cooperstown. And I came walking out of the, the building and and I saw uh, I looked up and I saw a face and it was Carmelo Martinez, who is the cousin of Edgar, who he cites as as really helping him or, or kind of m- making a career for Edgar. And uh, and I played with Carmelo and Edgar, you know, almost 30 years ago in, in Puerto Rico in winter ball. And I've never seen Carmelo Martinez since. And I, and I, I walked out and I saw his face and I said, Carmelo. And I. And he said, yeah. And, and I introduced myself and I said, you, you may not remember this. And he said, oh, yeah. And, and uh, I said, you, you look quite the same other than the fact that we're all shrinking. <laughs> you know, and, and then Pudge walked up and, and uh, had a nice little conversation. Puerto Rico, well represented, just like the Mariners were. And uh, so many stopped by the, the party. And a lot of what you see in the Hall of Fame or at the party is uh, is guys that pop in and spend 20 minutes and then go off to the next party. Because you'll think about it in this case, there, there were six celebrations going on. And so many of those people, like the commissioner, Rob Manfred, stopped in and, and said a few words at Edgar's party on behalf of the league. And I'm, I'm guessing that he did the same for the Halliday family. He did the same at Mike Mussina's event. He did the same. So he, he had to pop around six times. And, and I would imagine that's true of the guys like, say, Mike Cameron, who, who played with Edgar Martinez, who played with Harold Baines, who played with, played with you know, he, he fill in the blank. I mean, Mike, right. Mike played with a lot of guys. And, and uh, they're just popping around from one party to the next. And I, I thought it was really cool. Such a cool event. 
you've been in this game for a lifetime as a player, as an executive. Is there still a ball player from years gone by that you haven't met, that you've wanted to meet, that is still, for lack of a better term, still with us? You know, I, um, at least on a single occasion, I think I've met most of the, the living legends. There's some that I can walk up to and talk with as if I've known them for a long time. There are others that I still step back and think, oh, I'm not going to bother them. You know, I, as a general rule, I think with these guys during this weekend, you just want to give them their space and not bother them because they are truly being inundated with whether it's the schedule of events from the hall of fame the, the the fans looking for an autograph or a selfie or just have a conversation it's amazing just walking around the streets of of cooperstown and i said it to tammy as we were walking around the streets one day you know you walk past a, a i mean this is old small town america you walk past a, a bench on, on a public street in downtown Cooperstown. And there's going to be three fans there. Two are wearing Yankee jerseys and one's wearing a Red Sox jersey and they're arguing about a game in 1978. Now, and the names that are coming out of their mouths are hilarious that they're sitting and still hanging on to this discussion. But I think it's so cool when you walk down the street in Cooperstown and it's 8.30 in the morning, you're looking for a cup of coffee and you walk past Goose Gossage. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't happen every day where you're walking past your childhood heroes and the legends of the game and you can just stop and have a conversation online at a coffee shop. Even though it's a real pilgrimage to get from Seattle to Cooperstown, really to get from almost anywhere to Cooperstown, in the middle of the grind of a baseball season, is there something almost rejuvenating about going to Cooperstown and being a part of an event like we just saw? This session, you know, the 2019 induction was rejuvenating because the, the the good ship Mariner, Kevin Martinez and Mandy Lincoln and Camden Finney, they do, among others, uh, Chris Hunt, they do so much work to, to put on a wonderful event for the group. But our house this year, you know, we stay in rental homes because there's just there aren't hotels to speak of in, in Cooperstown or even close by. And this year, our house was was roughly two blocks from the Hall of Fame. It was awesome. It couldn't have been in a better location. It's probably about a 150-year-old home and stayed with a, a couple of other members of the Mariners family or, or guests of the Mariners. And, uh, and you just get up and walk to the Hall of Fame every day. It was really, really cool. There's the, one of the benefits of being near the hub of, of downtown Cooperstown, if that's even a thing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was uh, was I had roughly 100% cell phone coverage. Because you remember the, the proximity within the, the trade deadline that we're dealing with here. Uh, there is some action and there are some phone calls and you're going to be required to take a call from time to time. When I was there in 2016, we stayed in a remote area on a house out on Lake uh, uh, Otsego or, or however you, you would reference it. And uh, the cell coverage was roughly nil. So, and, and at the time, during that stay, I stayed with Patrick Crum from Root Sports. And, and, uh, and I'm, I'm trying to orchestrate trades at the trade deadline in 2016, and I can't keep a, a, a call. And it was driving me out of my mind. I would physically have to drive three miles into town, park in a random lot, and then just walk around the streets making the calls and then drive back to the house. It was, and then the next time the phone would ring, I'd have to hop back in the car again and go repeat the, the, the exercise. I can't imagine being a baseball fan as a passerby when Jerry DePoto is driving three miles into town and 
I'm not going to say yelling on the phone, but uh, let's just say animated, possibly. You can on the see phone. the hands going. <laughs> in the, you know. it's a, we, we did. And during that one, we fielded actually maybe one of the, the biggest series of conversations during that, the, the junior induction in 2016. We, we had ongoing conversations. You remember, we were right in the thick of the, the wild card race at the time. But we just didn't think we had the horses to be able to see it through in the end. And, and we had fielded, I would say, no less than 10 or 12 calls, you know, different teams inquiring on Steve Ciszek. And that during the, I remember the, the Griffey induction as being me walking around the streets of Cooperstown fielding Steve Ciszek calls nonstop. You know, and we got to the doorstep a couple of times and didn't see a deal through. And, and obviously Shrek stayed with us into 2017. But it's a real, it's funny the things you'll remember over time. Just a few days before that induction day was the uh, now famous Mike Montgomery, Daniel Vogelbach trade involving a couple other players as well. There's Fortunately, that one was done before we got on the, the flight. But similarly, the the those those trades don't happen in a, a five-minute phone call. It is, I mean, it is dozens of phone calls. It's a lot of research and deep diving. It's, and it's not just conversations with the other team. It's conversations with our own analysts. It's conversations with our scouts and front office personnel. It's conversations with our ownership group. And it, it, the communication required to make one trade a one for one trade is it's pretty phenomenal and and uh, and it takes up so much time so given my druthers if i'm going to do that i would rather be walking around cooperstown with a cup of coffee doing it rather than sitting in my office well we are recording this in advance of the middle game of the series against the rangers tuesday afternoon and if you go back uh, jerry a little bit before the all-star break this has been a rough patch for the mariners there have been times where it has felt a lot like the month of may which we know is a month where we uh, all long to forget. What have you made uh, overall for the last, let's call it, if you include the All-Star break, maybe three weeks or so with the Mariners on the field? You know, obviously we haven't played well, and May was just awful to live through, and I thought we played considerably better in June. And you know, and here in July, you know, up to and including the, the, the aftermath of the All-Star break, I, I, we haven't played well, and we are undermanned. We are also really banged up. And, and we have quite a few players uh, on the, the injured list. Added another one today in D. Gordon. And you know, we're, we're already, I think, three or four players away from eclipsing the all-time record for number of players used in a season. Not the Mariners' record, but the all-time record. And I feel like not only are we going to pass that record, but we're going to obliterate it by the, by well before we get to September, especially if we make trades here into this deadline. So it has been a, a, a roster in flux. It has been a team that just hasn't clicked or played well for most or all of the year. And the way we're trying to, to, to view this season in general or even this stretch that we're in is looking for the silver linings. And, and by the silver linings, our catchers, you know, Omar and Murph have played so well all year long. They've been really a revelation. And they're both in their 20s and, and are under club control for a number of years. Uh, it's been refreshing to see J.P. Crawford, you know, find his highs, go through his, his required adjustment period, bounce back, and all the while play with energy, play good defense, and, and, and do those good things. It's finding the – really it's finding the satisfaction and watching Marco Gonzalez continue to do Marco things. Uh, 
uh, very quietly after a year in which he finished ninth in the American League in F WAR in 2018. He's he's again he's 12th, and you know you. I don't know that Marco really gets enough credit for how consistent he's been since he's been with the Mariners, and and he continues to do those things. Vogie, you know, I uh, I, I think Vogie's Vogie's first half was phenomenal. You know, he cooled off just headed into the All Star break and coming out, and then when we were on our way over to Cooperstown and he hit the two three run bombs, I was so pumped for him because there's there's nobody's personality that probably embodies what we are as a team more than Vogie. So look at look at those players and try to find those silver linings. Hopefully it was good to, to win a game last night. Hopefully here toward the well with the rest of this homestand we can get on a little bit of a good streak and just feel better about ourselves. There's so many good things happening in the organization. Unfortunately, so, so little of it is happening on the major league field. One player that is a rookie, despite his age, that has gotten a lot of positive reviews from the coaching staff, Scott Service, Tim Laker, among others, is Austin Nola. I mean, this is really maybe a find for the Mariners organization. Uh, what are you seeing from Austin that has helped lead to such great success on the field? Uh, first, it's makeup. You know, Austin, from the moment we signed him as a, as a free agent over the offseason, uh, unbelievable character his his work ethic his attention to detail his willingness to try new things I think the two things that really stood out to me with Austin we we signed him as a minor league free agent with an invitation to major league camp as soon as we signed him you know his he's only been catching for a couple of years you know Austin was drafted out of LSU as a shortstop fairly high pick I think he's a sixth round or, or in that general range I saw him play at LSU really smart player but he lacked that one big carrying tool that was going to make you an everyday player in the big leagues. And, you know, to his credit, he picked up catching. He does it extremely well. He's versatile and athletic enough to play virtually any position on the field, including catcher, which is pretty phenomenal. I think the, the, the fact that he has a willingness he tapped into, I think we've talked about this once before on, on the wheelhouse, you know, Dan Wilson and Tony Arnerich, our catching coordinator at the minor league level, they, they host an off-season program called Mariners University, and we, we did a pitch calling you. So, uh, and Willie would get on there with Tony Arnerich, and they would go through an hour-long video conference with all of our catchers in the organization and just walk them through, you know, the mindset of calling pitches. And, and they would present different scenarios, different hitters with different strengths and weaknesses, set up a pitcher, and, the, and then walk through how to set up that hitter and how to sequence your pitches. And, and this was kind of suggested to Austin when we were recruiting him as an area where we might be able to help him get better. And we signed him on a Monday, and Monday nights were, were pitch-calling you nights. And Austin said, hey, do you have the contact information for that pitch? Within hours of signing with us, he was on the call and apparently took over and started running it. <laughs> and, you know, the, the, and I know our, our guys were just blown away with, with the quality of the character. You know, and then you know, he and Tim Lopes, who will also make a major league debut coming up here shortly, Tim Lopes got down and worked with our, our swing adjustment guys and, and started doing some things down there. And I, I couldn't be happier for Austin, you know, at 29 years old, to be in a position to, to make your major league debut after such a long run in the, in the minor leagues. Is, uh, it's 
awesome. And to do with that opportunity, what he's doing, we have been, I mean, we've referenced it before, the land of opportunity. And guys like, like Austin Nola, guys like Austin Adams, hopefully some others as we go along, have really just taken the opportunity and run with it. And I think what they're doing is they're cutting out a career for themselves, which is awesome. We are approaching the trade deadline. There's only one, after all, starting this year. Uh, we don't expect you to take us fully behind the curtain, but what are these days like for you or any man in your position as it is quickly approaching? Yeah, I, I will say, oddly, that this has been one of the more quiet periods I can remember. And I say that, and I think there's going to be a lot of activity. Our expectation is that what what will likely happen is because there's only one trade deadline, teams are likely to make a flurry of inquiries at the end for what I would call depth building players and and to bring along players that wouldn't otherwise be largely attractive during a, a normal trade deadline when you have August as a buffer. But now that, that this will be the lone trade deadline, we do think that there's going to be some role players that switch hands late and that we may have not fielded an inquiry on a, on a player that may be a push toward that last couple of days because you can pick up, for instance, a veteran role player, put him on your roster, option one of your optionable you know, younger players, and build depth that way because you can't go pick up the veteran to play in AAA. And once that deadline goes by, you're, you're done. You can't go get a, a, another guy to add to your roster, which complicates matters. We know that you've traveled to Cooperstown. Before that, you traveled a little further south from here. You went down to Modesto to check in on the Mariners High affiliate, the Modesto Nuts. Uh, what was your visit like? Uh, well, first we went to Napa for, for the All-Star break. and So I only remember some of the, the trip. We, uh, we, we really, it, every year at the at the the all-star break we head out and we spend time in Yountville and Napa and and visit some restaurants and, and, and try a little wine and uh, stay at the same inn every year and we just love it and you know now that Modesto is our Cal League affiliate it is a, it's a simple drive from from Napa to Modesto and you know it, it's it's slightly different zip code but it, it going into Modesto this year is the most excited I have been and you know, you go on these trips. Some is just to to let the players know you're thinking about them. Some is to visit with the staff and and, and make sure everybody's in a good place. And on this particular occasion, it's going in to see a host of prospects who, at the time, were sizzling hot. You know, Logan Gilbert, Cal Raleigh, was coming. I guess just finishing up what was a third consecutive California League Player of the Week. But something I don't know if it's ever been done. Uh, he was on some absurd hot streak, like 15 home runs in, in less than a month. And, and, uh, and obviously Jared Kelenic, who was playing there in, in Modesto. LJ Newsom, who had roughly been dominating the Cal League since the start of the season. So, so many you know, positive developments with our young players in Modesto. And when I dropped my wife at the airport so that she didn't have to endure the, the, what felt like sitting on the face of the sun in Modesto and watching the, the games... And I stayed for four days and, and visited with all those people and, and, uh, and had a chance to see each of the starters throw a game and, and got to watch Cal hit a couple of homers and do the things that he had been doing. And, and uh, all positive. And, and on the way out the door, we just we promoted all of them. <laughs> you know, all right, they're good. Let's move them up. Uh, 
I'm a little disappointed that Tammy didn't want to check out the nuts while she was uh, down in the great state of California. But come on, you're a baseball wife. She, she should be into this kind of thing, right? She's been doing this for 30 years. And, and I think she's, in this particular instance, to, in her defense, she had to pop off to, to Utah for her, her stepmom's 75th birthday celebration. So it's... All right, Tammy. She had an excuse. Yeah. Fine. I, that's the look I gave her. Like, okay. <laughs> I mean, it really is incredible what that trio had done in high A before getting the call up to triple A. If you look at how you might have mapped out the progression for Newsom, for Rally, and for Logan Gilbert, I mean, how far on or off scale is this to what you guys were thinking this time of the year as to them moving up to double A? You know, with, and this is just based on talent level uh, or, or a notion of what the talent level was like, we anticipated in setting up our, our seasonal player plan for Logan Gilbert, we anticipated that there was a great chance he would touch three levels, that he would play at both A levels, and then we would finish him this year in double A. Um, it, it's, it's gone a little bit smoother and a lot quicker than maybe we would have anticipated. Uh, the hope would have been to maybe get him to Arkansas somewhere in mid-August and allow him to experience the playoffs with the rest of that, what is a really talented group. And we thought that was a possibility. Obviously, his performance made it easy. And, uh, and, and his first outing, I thought he was spectacular for five innings. And then he ran into a little bit of a rough spot through last night. And it was, it was probably the most human effort he's had on the year. And that's why we moved him to Arkansas. It was to, it's, it's entertaining to watch him go out there every fifth or sixth day in A-ball and just dominate the opponents. But at 22 years old with what is a really advanced field of pitch and a a high-quality, well-developed arsenal, put him in a position where he has to deal with some adversity and be challenged. And, you know, so so that was Logan. LJ, if you'd have told us that this was going to be LJ's uh, arc for for 2019 in spring training, you'd have seen the grins ear to ear. Because he's a wonderful guy. He works really hard. He does all the right things. And... And he's been so good from day one. And, and my, my guess when we broke spring training with what we had set up in front of him organizationally was that he would probably spend the full season in Modesto and come to camp next year with a chance to move up to Arkansas at just 23. And, you know, LJ still, he's, he's a kid. He signed at 17. And, and, but what he was doing and, and gave us the ability to do, and, and frankly, you know, kudos to Nabil Krismat and to Darren McCacken for being so good that, that we felt confident in elevating them to, to Tacoma to make this happen. The guy who is moving at a more accelerated clip than we would have expected is Cal Raleigh. And it, it was just impossible to, to continue to watch what he was doing in the Cal League and not think, uh, let's challenge him with the op- opportunity to play in double-A. It's, it's deserved. He is an incredibly mature player. He, he has done more to advance his prospect status, perhaps, than any other player in our organization this year. And we thought he was a real dude coming in, for lack of a better way to put it. And, and there's nothing about what he's done or what we've learned about Cal, the person, that has changed that. He's a, I, I left there thinking this is one of the most mature A-level teams I've ever been around with guys like Logan and Cal and Kellenick and I could uh, – it's – and, it, and it's an entertaining loose group because when you're playing for Denny Hawking, you don't have a choice but to be. <laughs> and there's just something like warm and fuzzy about a battery moving up together. It was so cool to watch them 
put in the work in Modesto and they go up and Logan has that dominant outing in his first start. You can see, I mean, they're not the type of guys who are bouncing off the mound, dancing around, doing a bunch of fist pumps, but you can see in the subtle confidence when Logan gets a strikeout and Cal frames it just right that they're working together. So it's cool to see those guys moving up together. It really is. And I, and I think Cal is, if you view the catcher as the captain on the field, and, I, and I've heard through the years, it might be the catcher, it might be the shortstop, but I've heard that you know he's, he's the captain on the field. Cal really does you know, embody that. And, you know, on the days where he – and this I thought was phenomenal. And Denny Hawking pointed it out to me, and, and I, I, I couldn't train my eyes away from it once I saw uh, what he was doing. But on the days where Cal DHs, uh, uh, he winds up – and when he doesn't catch, just to frame it, when he doesn't catch, he DHs to keep the bat in the lineup because it's a high-impact bat. But on the days where he DHs, when, when he is not hitting in that inning – or, or if it's not an inning where he is hitting, he goes and he sits at the end of the dugout with a game chart like a, like a pitcher uses. And he keeps a game chart, his own program and his own chart of that team, and he's keeping it with tomorrow's pitcher in mind. So it's a, he's, not, he's, just, he's watching the hitters and effectively like you know, the game-calling university that Willie and, and Tony put together – is Cal sitting at the end of the dugout and he's developing tomorrow's game plan for Logan Gilbert, for LJ Newsom, for Ian McKinney. And, and he's doing it by watching the hitters, their approach and their swing shape for, against the, the hitters that are against the pitchers we're throwing that night. And it's a, I was blown away. I thought that was a, it's one of the more mature things I've ever seen an A ball catcher do. You know, most of the other guys on an off day are probably sitting at the end of the dugout trying to uh, just, decompress you know maybe maybe taking target practice with sunflower seeds <laughs> but not not doing something as, as what i think is is pretty sophisticated so you know good for cal for taking that on himself he does it on his own it, keaton gilligley if i'm pronouncing this right the broadcaster for the nesto caught that moment we shared it on our twitter feed and it was so cool he had two home runs in the game and then the ninth inning you see him looking over that chart logan's to his side and then they're just going over the game for tomorrow getting ready to go and i'm sure logan went out there and dominated but it's yeah so cool to see those guys work together and the the attitude that cal brings to the table yeah, it is really cool, and and that, that whole team. There's a, the bullpen is kind of the the life of that team. They keep everybody loose. Uh, most of them are are have been through the the A levels at least once, and they've they've put together a nice season uh, as a as a group in that bullpen, and and they keep things so loose. It's like a party in the clubhouse every day, and and when you have really good players like we have there. That are that are playing loose and fun, and I, and I don't even want to shortchange some of the the good developments with players who've been in our system. How much progress Louis Liberato made on the year, and he's since been promoted to Arkansas. You know, it's his second go around in the Cal League, but the the quality of what Joe Rizzo is doing and is is a big step forward to him uh, since we acquired him. Jake Shiner from who we came over in the Jay Bruce deal has been a nice addition, and it's it's a fun team to watch despite the fact that they're not having a great year in the win loss column. They are a really entertaining group with a lot of good players. I am very curious. You mentioned Nabil Krismat and why you didn't reference that he accomplished one of the greatest feats of mankind. He did it. I mean, how has this not been? I mean, I'm offended for Nabil from you. I'm sorry that I didn't bring it up. It should have been the first to to, to, to lead off. Actually, I take this on myself. That I didn't lead the show with it. This is is my fault, Jerry. This is my fault. He threw an immaculate inning. 
he threw an immaculate inning in addition to, and I, and I actually got a text from two of our people, including Andy McKay, who were sitting there watching the game. And both references suggest that this is the single best game I've ever seen a minor league pitcher throw. And well, of course. You know, I think he had Thank 14 you. strikeouts in an immaculate inning. And it was, uh, you know, Nabil just had a heck of a first half. He, he deserved the second crack at the AAA rotation. He, too, is just 24 years old, and he's got excellent feel and command of a very good breaking ball. And he's not an overpoweringly hard thrower. He may touch 90 from time to time. He generally sits in that 88, 89 range. But he's got a terrific curveball and a feel for where to locate and, and touch and moving back and forth. And, and if you can throw an immaculate inning, you deserve everybody's attention. That's for sure. That's right, Jerry. As a former big league pitcher, I'm glad you recognize who that. Never even who never came close to one, Jerry. Inning. That's right. Hey, you mentioned Andy McKay. Oh, you got a lot going on at the major league level, trying to figure out which 25 guys are going to be on this roster and all the player movement that comes along with it. How much, how often are you and Andy interacting about what's going on in the minors? Oh, constantly. I, I would say, you know, talk either live or telephone two, three times a day. And, uh, you know, there might be a day or so where uh, here and there where we're not in touch, but that's very rare. Uh, minimally, there's something going back and forth, texts, emails, phone calls. And, you know, whether it's player movement, it's player injuries, it's it's talking about the potential for, for advancement when it's time to move a guy. And, and uh, and then Andy engaging the the coordinators and coaches at the minor league levels to to get, vet the opinions. What you know, most of what we do. I won't say all of what we do. Most of what we do is is methodical and well thought out. Unfortunately, on certain days where you're dealing with injuries up and down the system, you have to react quickly. And even those days, I mean, it could be 11 o'clock at night, and my phone will ring, and it'll be Andy, and and he wants to talk about the fact that these two guys are on the move and. And as a general rule, we, we always touch base uh, to talk about any roster movement in the system, wh- whether it's at, at the Everett level or, you know, from Seattle moving backward. I feel like this week's stunt, J.D., is very straightforward and very attainable. I, I think it's Nabil Krismat. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry, I need you to tell me the first pitcher to win the Cy Young in both leagues and the first hitter to win the MVP in both leagues. Uh, first pitcher to win the Cy Young in both leagues, Gaylord Perry. Nicely done. Uh, first hitter to win the MVP in both leagues, Frank Robinson. See, Jerry? It's been a long time, man. I didn't See, wanna... I'm, in, I'm in baseball history yeah, mode right wanna, now. I don't want to just, like, crush you because it's been – what's it been? It's been, like – it's been a week. It's, it's been, been a little it's bit. It's been weeks, There's, I, I, I appreciate it. The, the pressure is off me. I feel like, – like, right now I feel akin to what I'm sure Edgar felt like on Sunday evening. Right? Yes, very yeah. nicely done, yeah. I, mean, I just wanted to give you a little. Now, uh, by the way, the the 1966 season for Frank Robinson when he won the MVP with the Orioles, triple crown, triple crown, American League MVP, World Series MVP. Now, I've asked I've asked Blow this before, and I'll ask you, even though you're a pitcher, from a position player standpoint, not that a pitcher can't win the MVP. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, do you think it'd be better? Would you rather win the MVP or the World Series MVP? You can only choose one. I'm going to take the World Series MVP. That's what I think, too, yeah. right? Oh, without a doubt. It's a, because you just won the World Series. Yeah, so. you won the, and you were the best in it. Yes. There has never been an MVP of a World Series who didn't win the World Series. There has been an MVP of the All-Star Game who did not win the All-Star Game. Ooh. Do you know that one? A little stump. That's a good yeah. one. I have no idea. It's only happened one time? Only one time. Who was it? 
Fred Lynn. I'm writing this down. Yeah. Do you remember Fred Lynn hit a home run off of Atlee Amaker in San Francisco and nationally wound up winning the All-Star game, and Fred Lynn was named the MVP. And I believe to date it's the only time that the MVP of the All-Star game ever came from the losing team. Nicely done. Thanks for finally bringing something to Stump JD. It's, There's not only, not only do you I'm get trying, the question, I'm trying. You then counter it with an even better question. I, again, I'm in I'm in baseball history, even more than Dorco mood. Like, <laughs> this is what I do. Hey, let's get to some listener questions. Remember, you can always email the podcast, thewheelhouseandmariners.com. All right, David chimes in via email, and he says it's not infrequent that a young player comes up to the big leagues and performs really well initially. Then as the league, of course, adjusts to the player, often there's a dip in the production. What do the Mariners do, Jerry, to help young players make the adjustment necessary to counter the change in approach by the rest of the league in order to stay productive? And at what point can a player be considered a finished product with no real weaknesses to exploit? I guess he's referring to Mike Trout there. Um, I feel he's like the only there's guy. There's only one of yeah, them. There's yeah, the, he's, he's like the one guy. But I thought that was an interesting question because inevitably that happens to every young player. It really does, and 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 I lived through it in my lifetime. It's it's almost like a tennis match, you know, with the with the, where the volley's going back and forth, and and uh, when you get the confidence to kind of go for the put away shot in in tennis, that's when you feel like you're maybe finished as a baseball player. Is when when you get that confidence, and I always reference it as you know developing the confidence when you go from high school to college. You know, the college game gets gets easier or or it's fun when you're as when you gain the the level of confidence that you had in high school similarly as you move from level to level in pearl ball and uh you know jokingly with the scouts we'll always talk about the you know the best players you know the deer will show you their antlers and they'll just they stand up when it's when it's time and there's so few players like a Mike Trout or an Albert Pujols, guys that hit the field and virtually from the moment they appear in their first game, they're awesome. And they, and, and they stay that way for decades. Uh, that's very uncommon. Usually it's the back and forth game. What we try to do is we use our analytics department and a lot of the information that we're able to procure from watching a player uh, through even his most formative years. This can be true in A-ball uh, at, at the rookie levels. We're looking at the way pitches act, the way a swing is shaped, the exit velocities, the launch angles that they're using. And what we're doing is we're trying to show each of the players. We'll sit down with those players. We, we do it at season's end. We do it in spring training. And we talk about their strengths and weaknesses. The best way we can try to head off at the pass that, or, or cut short the amount of time it's going to take to make adjustments is to make the, the hitter or the pitcher aware of what the others might see just simply by viewing what they're, what they're good at and what they might not be good at. Because what used to be, and, I, and I'll say this in my time and, and well before, you know, the, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, there it used to be that you didn't adjust, the league didn't adjust to you until they had enough volume. Now they've got enough information on you the day you show up that that they have a, a decent game plan for how they're going to go about it. And, you know, and as you get your first 150, 300 plate appearances, now it, the, I think the favor shifts to your opponent because now they have both a personal experience and a, a, I guess, 
an analytic game plan to use. So we'll just we'll hit the kids at the when they're 19 and 20 about what the opponents may be seeing, and we do the same thing with our big league players in the spring. Uh, this one comes from Twitter. Uh, Devil in the Deets in Oregon wants to know, uh, from a player development perspective, Jerry, is it more exciting to see a first-round pick reach his ceiling or to see a guy from the 30th round blast through the expectations and carve out a big league career? They're both roughly awesome. Uh, I think one is I, I, the your first-round picks. The day you make your first-round pick, your expectation is that that player is, is going to be a major leaguer. And you know what we do know about the draft is that's not always true. Uh, I think I think only roughly 30, 35 percent of first-round draft picks become regular major leaguers, you know, which is a remarkably low number if you think about it, especially when compared to other major sports. But you know the the late round picks, the guys in the thirtieth, fortieth rounds. You know, you know years ago the 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 Mike Piazza story, or, or you know when I was with the Angels, we had a, a first baseman by the name of Efren Navarro, who was he was Mister Irrelevant. He was like the last pick, fiftieth rounder, and made it to the big leagues, and and a wonderful guy who did things the right way and deserved the success that he found. And you were so happy for him. It's gonna. Uh, I mean, here in the next. 24, 48 hours. It's going to be Tim Lopes, who was not an early pick, signed out of high school. He's now 25 years old. He's been through minor league free agency. He's been traded. It's, and, and to get there, the, the, the amount of pride and satisfaction, I think the difference is that the first-round draft pick, is the, it's, the, it's, it's the expectation just to rise to, to what you believe is his destiny. Um, even though you know that, that not all of them make it, that's your expectation. The guy in the 30th round is, I guess, it's advocating for an entire organization, for the scouting group, for the player development group, for even for, for your, your peak performance group, you know, our mental skills coaches who are helping them through. It's such an uncommon thing for, for guys that are drafted that deep into the draft to make it all the way through, even if just for a cup of coffee, that you are so thrilled the day they make their first at bat. It's you're grinning ear to ear. And, and if they are able to carve out a career and, and be an impactful player, they, they just became the rarest of the rare. I mean, that's, that is almost as rare as being a Hall of Famer, to be fair. So, you know, that should be uh, revered in the moment and celebrated. Gerard Dyson, that's another name that comes oh, to mind, yeah. right? 50 the last pick. pick in the draft, I believe. Right? Oh, really? Yeah, I think, he's, it was, I think he was the, the last pick in the draft, another Mr. Irrelevant. that He made it to the big leagues, won a World Series, has made millions of dollars, and, and, and he did it the right way yeah. for, for a long, long time. He, he ground through as an extra outfielder. He, he kind of he, he bought his time until, until he got the chance to play regularly. Well, we wrap things up. We go around the horn. Uh, first things first, we've got a flash sale going on. Uh, from now through Thursday at midnight, you can snag two-for-one view-level seats for all Edgar Martinez Hall of Fame weekend series, uh, the series August 9th, 10th, and 11th right here at T-Mobile Park. And also, we've got Hall of Fame fireworks night coming up on Friday, so we hope to see you right here. Jerry, it's been far too long. Uh, congrats on Stump JD. And thanks, as always, <laughs> uh, for hanging out with us for a little bit. There's a, I'm just going to continue to hone my skills. I'll stay in <laughs> I think you're two for your last two, right? I got to I got to go back to old Aaron. New Aaron is soft. This is bad. But thanks so much. I really appreciate it.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.